Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, so we are going to jump right into a uh, recap of uh, Roma's winter transfer market. So the first deal, uh, which was almost completed in September, which was almost um, sort of a fait accompli or something that people saw coming from miles away, was the acquisition or the reacquisition of Stefan El Shirawi, uh, who after weeks and months of negotiating with his club in China, Shanghai Shenhua, his brother agent was able to um, negotiate a release from his contract. So El Shirawi was essentially a free transfer, um, even though by some reports he left possibly as much as 20 million on the table to rejoin Roma. So um, if you ever doubted his intentions, um, I think that pretty much erases it. So we, I'm, this is Brad. I'm joined again by Steve and Sean. Uh, first time the three of us have been together in a while. So we're just going to jump right into it, like I said. Um, so we'll start with Sean. What was your just initial reaction? Don't think about it too much. What did you think when this actually came true? Uh, terrible signing. I'm sure we all agreed. I mean, I, I can't think of anyone who's an El Shawari fan around here. Uh, can you guys think of anyone who likes El Shawari? Um, <laughs> Steve, Brent, anyone? <laughs> I know. I sh- we'll get to that. We'll get into that aspect for a second. But what did you just on first blush? What did you think when this finally came true? No, uh, if I'm being serious, I mean, I just, I, I was, I was good with it being a free transfer, and it's always, you know, it's he said he brings goals and assists, so I wasn't complaining whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's also nice to see how much he wants to come back because that's, I haven't seen much of that in players recently uh, that they, they really love Roma that much. So this turns out to be the real deal. He really loves this club. Yeah, leaving twenty million on the table in the same week when you heard that uh, Lionel Messi makes five hundred and fifty-five million dollars over a four-year deal with Barcelona <laughs> puts things in perspective. Um, Steve, what about you? First, first blush reaction to El Shirawi returning. I'm very happy about him returning. I wanted him back in the summer, much like you did. Um, I'm a big fan of his, and I think he adds a dimension that Roma could use, especially in the attacking midfield, where we see this week their depth is tested didn't think we'd say that this year with the number of players we have in that position but uh on a free it makes it even better i think you know you can't argue with a guy who wants to come back and he's in the prime years you know and he's he's pushing for a euro spot so you know he'll be motivated yeah absolutely um obviously i'm pretty stoked i remember when they brought him back in 2016 um it was a bit of a gamble i think we all at that time remembered the el shirai with milan who came through i think in 2012 and was just a huge hit and he seemed like the best the next uh, big megastar um sort of lost a bit of his shine when Balotelli came through and started taking all the shots and <laughs> his career sort of floundered so when they picked him up in 2016 he was uh, with Monaco not doing a lot 
And, um, you know, about 10 days ago when the, when the rumor started, looking like it was going to come true, there's a lot of parallels. So if we think back to 2016, he was purchased for Rudy Garcia, who was kind of um, a wing-obsessed, embattled manager. And at the time, like a week ago, it seemed like Fonseca was embattled as well. Um, that's sort of cooled down. So there were some slight parallels. And he re-inked with Roma after almost five years to the day. Um, so I was obviously stoked uh, being a huge fan of his, and I think he's an exciting player. So let's talk about... Um, the positives of El Shirai. What does he bring to the table? So, Sean, what do you, what sort of mark do you think he's going to make on this current team? Well, he's someone who can score a goal out of nothing. Uh, he can, you know, stick it, cut it into the top corner from 25 yards without any sort of, you know, blinking an eye before he does it. And he's also got a really good eye for a final ball. You know, he can, he can cut it in, and he can do a through ball to put anyone for a goal. Um, when he left Roma, he was on eight goals and eight assists for that season. So he was really coming into his own. It was, it was a shame to interrupt his career when he was just just finally putting those niggling injuries behind him in the Di Francesco years and, uh, you know, really coming into, like, looking like a double-double kind of player. Um, I mean, now we've got Mkhitaryan, who does that same amount of production in, in half a season, not a full season. So <laughs> we've got players who um, can set that that standard and, and we've got to see if SES can push himself to reach another level. But... Yeah, that's, that's what I see that he brings as well. Yeah, you're right. He think he was actually our, I think was the leading scorer when he left or close to it. I'm, I'm seeing at 11 goals and three assists that year and about 28 appearances, um, which right. made his, his move to Shanghai all the more puzzling. Um, so you talk about speed, talk about scoring. Uh, Stephen, what do you think? What are some of the immediate impacts he's going to make on the pitch? So if we tune in this weekend, he's playing against Juve. What does he bring to the table? Yeah, I think it's that goal scoring ability that Sean mentioned. You know, we've seen him score some some lovely goals. I saw some clips of him after the signing. I remember that one here where he had like the uh, back heel that he backhailed it out of mid midair, like those kind of goals that he just creates out of nothing that are are lovely to watch. And you know, this Roma side scores a lot. Sean and I mentioned it last podcast where Roma's third in the scoring table and not very far off the top. So. You know, he just adds another dimension to the the scoring. He gives them, I think, probably initially kind of a super sub because he's probably, I don't know how match fit he is at this point, but just having him in a match where you might be struggling to break down a pet, uh, a tough defense, maybe he comes off the bench for the last 30 and gives you that spark that maybe someone's lacking on the day. You know, we've seen Pedro and Carlos Perez struggle at times. And with a player like Pellegrini suspended this week or when Mkhitaryan misses a match, he gives you another option to add a little more punch to the attack. Um, I, I think that's where he'll help the most. And in an attacking, uh, you know, kind of system like Fonseca plays, I think he fits in nicely. Yeah, I, I am going to agree with you there. I, I think um, you look at the speed, you look at the aggression, you look at the scoring. I, I know that goal you're talking about. I think that back, like almost like ninja kick. Yeah, I think that might have been his, yeah. actually his first goal with the team too, which is pretty crazy. Um I, I think what impresses me about this most is that um, if we look back to the beginning of the season, I remember even writing about this a few times, like it really seemed like uh, Fonseca was intent on riding Pedro into the ground. And I think the benefit of bringing someone like Pedro is he's going to hit the ground running because he has oodles of experience. He can play pretty much any tempo, any style, any league. But the problem is he's a little bit older. And as we're seeing, he's sort of slowing down little um, sort of knocks and niggling injuries sort of take a bit longer when you're older to recover. <laughs> so I think you're getting a guy who is 26 or 27. No, he's 28 years old. So he's 28. Right, yeah. Right. His physical peak. So he's a guy who like Under or like Carlos Perez, who brings sort of the um, instant injection of offense, a guy who could raise his own shot, but he does that while also having the benefit of experience. Cause we saw with Perez, he looked like he was going to be that 
sort of momentum um, tempo shifter, but he just hasn't been able to put it together. So I think landing a player who's 28 in his prime who has experience in the league and with the club is going to be um, kind of amazing there. So let's talk about um, are there any drawbacks to the move? Is there any limitations to El Shirai? I think people are excited because he is a fan favorite, but I'm I'm sensing among certain fans, people on our message boards, even on Twitter, who think he's sort of um, almost like a Maasai or like a panacea is going to solve all the problems. Is there anything that he might still be lacking, Sean? Are we people expecting too much, maybe? Well, I only have two two things I, I really don't want to see happen is that I don't want our final third player to go back to the days where SDS was here. It's not entirely um, his responsibility that it was that way, but we, we weren't anywhere near on the technical level that we are now with Magistari and uh, Pellegrini having come on a little bit and changed his game. And uh, I just hope that SES can fit in because from what I remember, he, he's just not really that technically gifted. He is technically gifted physically, but in terms of like mental decisions in, in the final third, unless he's shooting the ball in the back of net, then you're not really getting much else. And he's, he's one of those players like uh, Anna Maria Sertorini on a women's team who like, you, you can't really dispute the fact that they bring they bring a threat to the team, but it's it's almost like a solo show. So okay. um, yeah, I just hope that he can he can actually fit so, in this team and, and be more of a team player. So you yeah. you're a bit worried that he's going to be kind of like hey, um, I always make basketball references, but in basketball you always have players who are considered ball dominant, and so when the ball comes to them, the offense kind of stops because they try and do their thing, you know, dribbling between the legs, doing crossovers. Yeah. So you, you worried about that? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's not. Um, the thing is, he, he's not really like a, a guy who like ball hogs and, and holds onto the ball, takes a lot of time. Like normally if he's going to do something, he does it within a few seconds. But sometimes we'll have, we, I just remember we had passing moves that could have been like really beautiful had someone just had that vision to see the final pass. And I, I just praised this through ball before, but it wasn't all the time. Like sometimes you'd even be surprised that like, he, he spotted a pass when it was on. So I just hope that somehow he's uh, you know he's used his experience elsewhere to just mature all around and also I worry for my second worry is I worry for Lorenzo Pellegrini because Pellegrini loves uh, El Shawari mm. and so much so that he actually changed his game to, to really bring out the best in the SES and we saw Pellegrini often running out to that right wing to look for that cross to, to really sh like shift the opposition to follow Pellegrini so that he could then switch the ball over to SES to cut in from the left side and uh that's okay once, once every while, but Pellegrini's a much more complete player now, so I hope that he doesn't regress from having his best mate back in the team. That's all. Hmm. That's a good point. Uh, Steve, what about you? Any any worries? Anything that we think that El Shirai might be um, not necessarily lacking, but is there anything he's not going to bring to the table? Um, I mean, yeah, Sean mentioned a couple of things. That, it's a great point about Pellegrini, but I think Pellegrini is a more complete player at this point, so hopefully he doesn't regress it in that regard. Maybe he's grown... Um, you know, that he doesn't have to fit with other players. He can, you know, help other players in other ways. But, um, you know, one thing I've noticed when Pellegrini and Mkhitaryan are the two in the attacking midfield, they, they work pretty hard to win back balls. So I hope El Shorari will bring that same characteristic when he's on the pitch, getting into passing lanes and things like that. I don't remember that side of his game too much um, from when he was on Roma. I, so I, 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 you know, my, my memory's a little fuzzy there. Do you remember how well he tracked back in a couple of years ago when he was with Roma? He was all right by the, by the final season. By the final yeah, season, yeah. he come on a little he, bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So other than that, I mean, I don't have too many worries. I think, you know, he's he's familiar with the environment, which I think is huge because we know what Rome can do to certain players, especially when they first arrive. So I don't think he'll be overwhelmed by the the atmosphere or being in a top four race um, and things like that. So I think he'll fit well, you know, 
uh, everybody's game is a little different. So as long as he, you know, brings that vision, like Sean said, and doesn't, you know, miss some of those key passes, which we've become good at this year, I think he could be very dangerous, especially when we counter and do things like that. Um, I'd love to see him and Mikatarin and Meyer all at, at points together. Cause I think we could be really dangerous in situations like that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to agree with you guys. I think when I um, think about Shirai, the image I had in my mind is just sort of a, the agility, he can sort of hop around, skirt around players at will and the goals, but you don't really mm-hmm. think of someone who's like a, a tactically nuanced player. He's not, you know, Kevin DeBruyne, he's not in Iniesta, he's not a player like that. So I, I think we are right to worry about that. Um, so let's going along with that. Let's talk about, so El Shirai was coming back. Like we say, he's 28 years old in the prime of his career, played in the league, played for the team. Um, so when he last, when he first came to Roma, obviously it was with Garcia. Um, then he was sacked a little bit later. So his first real taste of Roma was with uh, Spalletti in a 4-2-3-1. And then he played obviously for Di Francesco and a little bit for Ranieri. So Sean, I'm going to come to you on this one. Tactically speaking, what's, what do you think is going to be the biggest adjustments for him to fit in with Fonseca? Uh, I know we may have touched question. on some of it already. That's a good question. I mean, I, me and Steve talked in the last episode about how Fonseca's uh, changed his, what he's asking of the attacking midfielders this year. Before, they would always stick to the inside of the middle, uh, stick to the middle of the pitch, and we try and build up play through the middle. But now this year, they're actually given the license to to go out wide to that that wide um that wide lane, so that the inside uh, sorry the wing backs behind them can actually cut inside sometimes, and that's new this season. So, um, is someone who uh, is very much used to doing the opposite. He's used to sticking out wide and, and cutting in. Um, I don't know if that would ruin his cues in terms of like trying to pick up the ball and run for it. But uh, also, I mean, you know, Fonseca is a guy who insists that if if you're around two teammates that are passing the ball, you better be that third man giving support and stick close to them. Um, so I, I think the only thing that Altrui might have to do is adjust his his runs in terms of making those runs in the final third. You know, he, he might, SES likes to run off the ball to try and pick up the long pass. Um, and he's got to do a lot more looking for that short passing game now. So, yeah, we'll see if he can adjust to that. Hmm. Um, Steven, so you, you had mentioned, uh, I think, so we talked about, um, Sean did a great job there with the tactical adjustment. So we think about El Shirai, a guy who hasn't played in a real match in, you know, several, several months. Um, does that worry you at all? Especially now that we're saying that Pellegrini might be out. Are you worried that too much too soon might, who knows, he could get hurt and might wreck his confidence. What do you think, Steven? Are you worried yeah, about I mean, it's- the lack of match time for him? It, it's a bit of a worry, especially because the matches he did play outside of those couple for Italy in uh, in, in Europa League qualifying, and then um, I guess it was the Nations League stuff has been in in the Chinese Super League, and then not playing for a bunch of months after that before he arrived certainly has to be a little worrying in terms of his match sharpness. Um, you know, training for a week will will be good for him. He'll kind of hopefully get up to speed a bit, but there's got to be a little bit of an adjustment period back to Serie A after being gone for uh, 18 months, I would think. Um, so it worries me a little bit, unfortunately, because he's not coming from like a, another team in Serie A or La Liga or somewhere else where he was playing consistently. He can't probably jump into the starting lineup this week when he could have been used to replace the suspended Pellegrini or injured Pedro. So um, that was one of the things Sean and I talked about last episode is just how does Fonseca replace Pellegrini this coming match? Because El Shirari is probably not ready to start a match and go 60, 70 minutes. It's probably 
you know, maybe VR, maybe you play Myra and Jekyll, maybe he goes to Pettis, I think, which is the least likely. And then, you know, El Shirari is an option off the bench for 20 or 30 minutes to maybe spark you if you need a goal at, at, at the Allianz this weekend. But yeah, it worries me a little bit. Yeah. And also I think we got to keep in mind that he just had COVID. So whether he was asymptomatic mm-hmm. or not, that's something, mm-hmm. you know, people still yeah. don't really have a handle on the long-term effects of that. Um, okay. And so let's... I... Yep, go ahead. Am I the only one who's excited by the idea of still, after all these years, El Troy uh, playing at striker? I mean, Steve mentioned it, that we have the option mm. to, you know, uh, yeah, sort would, of like bring him in. I was just going to, and it's a good segue. So we're going to talk about his role. Um, so like I said, when we, El Shirai, we typically think of him as just sort of a, a left winger. Um, but as you guys mentioned, Fontek is becoming a little more creative, a little more adaptive in his tactics. I remember when El Shirai first broke through, I think it was when he was playing for Miha. And he wasn't a striker, but he was a bit of a, a second striker, I think. So mm-hmm. he might be more versatile than we're giving, giving him credit. But so let's just talk about um, maybe not his exact position. So starter or sub, super sub, what do you think, Sean? Where does he fit in long term for the, the balance of this season? We know this week is sort of up in the air. But do you think starter, super sub, what do you think? i got to go with super sub. Um, I think I see him as a, as a rotation signing. Yeah, if, if he can be better than that, I'd be, I'd be happy to see it. But uh, I, I, someone mentioned on the forum this week, and, and they said it before, and I, I felt the same way, is that we've signed a guy who doesn't actually address any areas of need right now, like, <laughs> like Steve just said before, with, with third in goal scoring, um, and uh, SES is bringing goals. It's, you know, and you're not going to complain about more goals, but it's, you know, it's just not as important as the, the, the areas in the team where we're lacking. So. Uh, like you guys said, you know the, the biggest advantage he offers right now is like he could give Pedro a rest. Um, we can share the minutes, and that's how I see it going down. Yeah, and I, I think that's why we spoke on um, any possible negatives or drawbacks to this, um, Stephen. In your in your mind, so we know this week's going to be a little bit different because Pellegrini's um, suspension. But going forward, do you see him any role for him as a starter? Or you think he's just the first option off the bench, the uh, the twelfth man, if you will. I, I think for the majority of the matches going forward, he's probably uh, super sub with uh, a spot starter here and there, depending on who's available because Mkhitaryan and Pedro have been so good. It's, it's kind of hard. Um, not Pedro. I'm sorry. Pellegrini, Pellegrini been so good, good that it's, it's hard to dislodge the two of them from the starting r- lineup right now. I think in most of the bigger matches, um, if we do progress in the Europa league farther than that Braga, you know, tie this month, then maybe he gets a little more game time. Cause then you're playing twice a week, a little more often. Um, but like Sean said, it's not our biggest area of need. If it wasn't for Pellegrini being suspended this week, you know, he's not even being talked about as a potential starter right off the bat. It's just uh, circumstance, I think, pushing us in that direction to even mention that idea. Um, but I think he'll he'll definitely offer things for Rome, especially with Mkhitaryan. You know, he's he's played a lot of minutes. Him and Pellegrini have played almost every match this season. So they'll need to be spelled. Um, and even if you're cutting Mkhitaryan down to, to 60 minutes in some matches, and playing El Shari 30 off the bat, I still think that helps save Mkhitaryan down the stretch uh, because we're going to need all of them, I think, if we're going to really push for the top four, especially uh, with Zaniolo still out, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, geez, I keep forgetting that he's coming Yeah, <laughs> I, Yeah, I, I don't want to comment until he's back, but I, I put out my dream like 11, and someone's like, what about Zaniolo? I was like, oh, shit, I forgot. Yeah, um, you, put, you, put, you put Smalling in the B team. I was surprised with that one. I... Yeah, I just I uh, I don't know. I feel like he's slowing down a bit. Um, okay. Relatively speaking, I don't know. I was just trying to think of what what would the team look like if they had a little bit of money to spend, not going crazy, keeping some guys, yeah. bringing in a few. I think I had five new signings in that. That was really, uh, but I was off the cuff as things get. I don't know what 
prompted that. Um, yeah, I, I think so. That puts a wrap on El Shirai. You guys brought up some good points. And I think just listening to you guys on the early podcast and just now, it's amazing that um, how much of the team's current identity revolves around Pellegrini. And if we mm. think back to the beginning of the year, it's like, well, is he going to play deep? Is he going to play further afield? People are saying he's not um, aggressive enough. So I, I think when we look back on it, in addition to Mkhitaryan being so excellent, I think Pellegrini's development this year will be the story to look back on. Um, well, maybe that, that shows how fluid the team is because Pellegrini still doesn't really have a natural role in this team. And yet he's still a really big part of it. So. Yeah, you're right. Excellent point. Um, so, of course, El Shirai wasn't the only signing. Uh, Roma also signed 19-year-old American fullback Brian Reynolds from FC Dallas. Um, Steven, uh, you managed to land an interview with an expert on Reynolds. So why don't you give us a real quick uh, intro of that before we lead into that? Yeah, so I, I got to talk to Brian Schiaretta, who is a writer uh, on American, you know, soccer. Uh, and he appears on Sirius XM talking about American soccer. So he's kind of, a, a, you know, an expert on American players, especially American players that have gone abroad to Europe. So uh, I got to pick his brain a bit on Reynolds and what he brings to the table and where he sees him in the future. So you can give it a listen next. And, uh, and then we'll be back to talk about our thoughts on Reynolds. Yep. So we're going to jump to that right now, and then we'll take a quick commercial break after that, and then we'll give our thoughts on Reynolds. So, All right, everyone. Uh, here we are for a special segment on this winter transfer market episode of Across the Romaverse. I have a special guest with me here. It's Brian Schiaretta. Uh, you know, he specializes in American soccer, so we figured he'd be a great resource to turn to uh, to talk about Roma's newest signings, Brian Reynolds, who's coming over from FC Dallas. Uh, Brian is a writer at American Soccer Now. Yeah, he's had work up here in the New York Times and Soccer Amer- America. Uh, and he's also a frequent guest on Sirius XM and Talk Sports. So, Brian, how are you tonight? Good, good. Thank you very much for having me on. So just a little background on the, on the Reynolds deal, which many of you have probably seen already. Uh, he is coming over on a six-month loan with obligation to buy for Roma in June. Uh, which will cost them 6.75 million euros. And then there are performance-related bonuses that could cost Roma up to another 5.65 million. And uh, the MLS, Major League Soccer, is holding on to a 15% stake in any future sales that uh, Reynolds may move on to another club in the future if Roma decides to sell them. They would get 15%. And Ro- Reynolds' contract is running uh, until June of 2025 for Roma. So a four-and-a-half-year deal. Uh, so Brian, uh, Reynolds is a bit of an unknown, you know, I watch MLS here in the States a bit. I, I have Red Bull season tickets, but with the, uh, COVID and not seeing the West coast teams much, I've never actually seen Reynolds play. So what can you tell us about Reynolds strengths, weaknesses? You know, he's a 19 year old kid, so there's not much, uh, to go off of. Well, first of all, it's great to meet another, someone else who frequents Red Bulls games. I'm, I'm at their training quite a bit and, uh, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there a lot. Uh, but you know what you have to know is interesting about him is is uh, he, he's a good kid. He's um, he's a quick learner, and I think what a lot of people sometimes need to understand about him is that he's new to the right back position. Um, uh, he was a forward and a winger um, predominantly with the U uh, seventeen national team a couple years ago, and it really wasn't until like the last year and a half that he's been learning the right back position. Um, but what I think, you know, uh, makes it so intriguing is, is just his raw athleticism and some of the athletic players that you have in this league now um, and are coming out of it are just on another world. And it doesn't really have to be American. It can be Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich, who, you know, uh, just really took 
like the champions league by storm, let alone the Bundesliga. Um, and uh, so you're dealing with uh, a, a player there that, and he still has a lot to learn. I mean, you know, I thought he came on, he only started beginning to start for Dallas last year after the sale of Reggie Cannon to Boa Vista in Portugal. And that's only then really the second half of the year was when he was a, was he was a, when he was a starter for Dallas. So he's only a starter for about a half season. You know, his athleticism was great. Um, you know, he had some really, really good games. But then, you know, when the play, when when the playoffs rolled around and the opposition got a little little bit little bit tougher, you saw Jordan Morris in the playoffs, um, U.S. national team winger, um, really, uh, you know, easily exposing uh, Reynolds. Uh, now he's a quick learner. I don't think that would happen again next year. Let's say if he was theoretically to stay in Dallas, but like. You know, he learns quickly, but, you know, I think it's going to require some patience a little bit just in terms of how young he is, how new to the position he is, and how new he is to being a first-team starter overall. All right. Yeah, and I, I've seen he's a, he looks like a pretty physically imposing kid with, with a lot of you yeah, know, he's natural three. gifts, like um, you said. You know, that's, that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tall fullback at 6'3". You know, that's, that's um, you know – for us national team fans, we were used to like Steve Trundolo, you know, yeah. there as, as the, as the right back, uh, you know, he's the best right back the U S ever had. And, um, they, you know, now they have Serginio Des, but like, like Reynolds is, you know, uh, quite a bit different in terms of physical build, like he'll win the athleticism battles. And I think it's just a matter of, uh, they see a lot of huge upside in him as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, one thing I, I think Roma currently lacks besides Nicolo Zagnolo, who's out with the ACL injury, is kind of like a physical dribbler of the ball. Is that something you could see Reynolds doing with his size on the right wing? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be a good dribbler. I mean, remember he, he was um uh, for the you know his roots and his and his and his and his childhood and his development. He was a forward. You know, that's that's um you know uh, that's one of the reasons he loves to get forward and and that's when he when he when he began starting for Dallas that was his big thing and then um but then when he drifts back into defense he's going to win those physical battles as well um he's not going to get bumped off the ball um and he's uh, uh, you know so he has a good base to learn from now it's you know getting the coaching um and particularly the reps and training against some really really good players um to to polish off those tools so yeah i mean for 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 roma fans like you know i i, I it's an upside play but mm-hmm. it's not something i think you know it, it, for him to walk right you know to begin starting or or playing regularly you know in the near future i think would would surprise me i mean i've been surprised before in the past believe me like um you know the, the, I, I get things wrong but you know that would be very surprising if he's he's a contributor like this season you know i think it's really less he's got he's gonna take some time to get adjusted yeah i figure with the the cultural differences and then the step up and play will take some time especially for a young 19 year old kid for a 19 year old italian it would be you know a big step up let alone someone coming from mls and uh well yeah you know and it's like look the last bunch of sales out of mls have done well i mean you know you're a red bulls guy you can see with tyler adams Mm -hmm. i mean he didn't he walked right into Leipzig's, um, you know, starting lineup. But at the same point, when Tyler made the jump, I mean, we're talking different positions here, but Tyler still had two seasons where he was, uh, you know, getting 2,500 minutes a clip. Um, uh, 
you know, so I do, th- and even Alfonso Davies, like I mentioned before, like it wasn't long before he was starting at Bayern Munich. And, um, you know, I, I'm bullish on, on the young players coming out of this league, being able to, to earn minutes right away. But, you know, usually it's, usually it's, they start for two seasons, you know, first. Yeah. And, and then there's usually that magic number where, they have like a good run of games and um, for a while first, and then, you know, and then they, and then they, and then they play, um, you know, then they're grounded professionals, but he's, you know, this is uh this is one of the quicker transfers um, in terms of in his career. Like I would say, you know, we're dealing with a guy who's hovering around 1000 minutes, not like the five that Tyler had when he made the jump. So, you know, it's, it, that, that's where I think the big, that's where I think, People not just looking at him. Oh, he's coming from FC Dallas, but look at look at just the you know the, where his minutes are. Uh, yeah, that's a great know. point, uh, and that's why you had mentioned you'd be surprised to see him playing much right away. I I agree. I think he's a future play. Maybe he'll get some you know cameos at the end of matches that Roma might have in hand. You know, a three nil lead or something against maybe a. I'll use Benevento where he was rumored to go on loan from Juventus uh, when they were in the mix, but. Um, you know, I think it's a future play because Rick Karsdorp is playing well for Roma right back and Bruno Perez, his contract is up at the end of the year. So it could be more of an eye toward next season where he yeah. can work into that rotation. Um, any players that he reminds you of now, any maybe well-known players that he might remind you of in terms of his game or what he possesses talent-wise? Well, I mean, I think the the play is is to hope he is like an Alfonso Davies, you know, just like the, and he's not close to that level yet. I mean, Alfonso Davies is a guy who's won the champions league now, you know, and he's a left back, but he's a guy, you know, he's, he's, but you know, it's, it's the, it's the really, you know, but in terms of what they want, you know, the, the dream scenario for him would be if he ever hit that high ceiling that Roma dreams of for him, it would be that, um, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, just the athleticism, the, the 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 ability to cover the ground while also having the physical side as as a fullback. Um, you know, uh, that that's kind of what they want, and 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 that's why a lot of teams are scouting in this league, like Weston McKenney. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, uh, uh, you know nine years in the Dallas Academy, but like the 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 you know it's that athleticism mixed with skill. Like it's um it's it's very exciting. Yeah, it's nice to see more American, uh, you know, athletes going toward the soccer way that we may not have seen in the past, Um, which brings me to my next point is that, you know, when I look at this transfer in a broader scope, you know, American players abroad right now are playing very well. We, you know, everybody knows about Kristen Pulisic at Chelsea, but, you know, you have Gio Reyna starting at Dortmund and scoring goals at Dortmund. You know, we, you had mentioned Adams already at Leipzig, who I'm a big fan of after watching him in person quite a few times. You know, Zach Steffen has gotten starts at, in City's goal. And then, of course, McKinney to Juve was the one that kind of uh, put Americans back on the map in Serie A. I mean, McKinney stepped right in and played more than I've ex- expected in his first season as a starter a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, tons of players established themselves for some of Europe's biggest clubs. And you could rattle off a whole list more that I'm not even yeah, touching like Dest on. And, yeah, it's, you know, you got Barcelona. and Yeah, I mean, and Dest, too. I completely forgot about Dest at Barcelona. Right. And I mean, it's, yeah, there's the, 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 it's, it's, it is um, a unique time. And, uh, you know, and I, and what I always say is, is that it's, this is, this is different. I mean, like the America, the the overall American player is better now. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't just like five or six, 
exceptional talent players and then then the, this typical status quo of american players behind those players the overall average american player is good the 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 good american player is better the great american player is better than the great american like like the the top american players are better it's just a different the whole paradigm has shifted so you know i mean it's uh, you know, in generally they're walking over and doing well. I mean, Brendan Aronson is now starting at Red Bull Salzburg and, um, you know, there's a future play there to, that could bring him within the Red Bull empire, um, you know, up to Leipzig and, you know, and Mark McKenzie's now starting at Genk and uh, they've produced some of the, they've produced great defenders over their, over their years, just great players too in Belgium. So, you know, it's, and, and, and what that reflects is, is too, is, is that here in the domestic league, there's just, the caliber of players in this league, the American players and the Canadian players and, and even the foreign players who, who've been in this country for a long time are just much better than they were five, 10 years ago. The league here, I think is as bad, as good as it's ever been. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's comparable to, you know, not the top five teams in Europe, top five, five leagues in Europe, but you get beyond that, it starts getting really comparable with the higher end talent still, you know, really good here. So, and I think that, you know, people are starting to realize that certainly scouts in Europe are, and, um, you know, and, and they're, and, you know, there's, there's, that's why you're starting to see a lot of interest in people paying high prices for American players because, you know, they realize they have to, and they still feel it's worth mm-hmm. it. Um, so yeah. it's exciting. Yeah. 6.75 million up front for a player uh, as unknown as Reynolds a few years ago from the States, probably you don't see it happen. So I think you kind of hinted at this already, but the best American talent crop you've ever seen covering American soccer right now. Yeah. I mean, certainly potential, whether, whether or not it translates to the national team, I don't know. That's I've seen, you know, I've seen good teams. I've seen national teams with a lot of champions league talent on it. Italy being one of them Mm -hmm. not do well. Um, uh, You know, I've so, you know, it, that doesn't, but in terms of like the overall quality of American players. Yeah. So, you know, whether or not this is going to be as good as the 2002 U S national team that didn't have the champions, but that was just a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that remains to be seen. That's that's on coaching. That's on the, how the players get along and where there's no infighting and all this other nonsense that could happen. But uh, yeah, I mean, the overall talent now is, um, is just really good, really high. Uh, you know, I like the players abroad. I like the players here. I like them. I like them really all over here. It's, it's, um, and they're coming from a lot of great clubs and it's, um, uh, you know, you're, you're, so you're only going to start to see the overall value right now, um, going up and whether or not it leads them, leads them to Syria, you know, who knows? Um, there's, there's all kinds of non EU hurdles, that you know if they have an eu passport it makes things a lot easier if they don't you know it's it's just going to be tough still but you know doesn't mean they're not going to you know they might eventually find it worth it to use those limited roster spots on americans that's that's going to be pretty interesting yeah for sure and as a you know an italian american like yourself and myself you know the last world cup was was painful to see (laughs) neither italy nor the states qualify so it's good to see uh both both countries kind of getting a new crop of young talented players in there uh, like we've seen also with the Italian national team. So, you know, historically, U.S. players tend to go to England naturally with the the culture and language being similar. And then also the Bundesliga has been a hot spot for American talents. Oh, yeah, um, that's the, the Bundesliga is the least 
the most, I mean, until recently, England's changed a lot now with Brexit, but Germany, before Brexit, before January 1, like, um, Germany had the least foreign restrictions of any mm -hmm. of the, uh, I mean, it was then, then you had to go to all the way down to Belgium because even Holland had a lot of restrictions. So Germany always laid, laid out the red carpet easy, far easier than all the other leagues. Yeah. So do you think McKinney, you know, playing well and then potentially Reynolds could pave the way for more U.S. players? Do you, uh, in Serie A, do you think it's more of that non-EU issue that still might hinder it a bit? Oh, that's going to hinder it. I still, th I think you could see more, more players, um, more teams saying, you know, it's worth it to use the, um, the limited number of spots you can bring in on a window on an American player. Um, that's certainly uh, more likely now, but you're not going to see like Bundesliga level numbers um, yeah. at, at this time right now. It's just, uh, it's tough and, and, you know, and, um, but I still think, you know, and you're starting to see more, Italian clubs open to the idea of having Americans, you know, I still think, you know, perception follows reality. And unfortunately, like the reality is American players are good. Now uh, the perception is, is not quite there yet. And I think, you know, Italy will be among the last to know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. when, when, when Americans can play, but I still, you're going to see more Americans making their way over there, but it's going to take a while. All right. And then just to finish up, uh, Brian, any American players in MLS or Europe that teams like Roma, like that kind of uh, top five team in a top five European league should keep an eye on? Maybe that might be making the jump sometime soon. Oh, sure. You know, I, I like a lot of these, um, you know, these U20 uh, uh, class of players that that, that unfortunately aren't going to get a chance to make the move. I mean, I know Cole Bassett is a midfielder at um, in Colorado that a lot that, um, you know, is getting the interest right now of a lot of French teams, but, you know, he, I think he's a guy who um, could do well uh, in, in, um, in Italy. And I still think, um, you know, there, there's a lot, there's some good fullbacks like Julian Arahu, um, who actually I thought when I was doing my mock USU 20 national team roster, I had him starting right back over Reynolds. Um, you know, so there's uh, Sam Vines, who I thought was really good for the U.S. national team last night. He's a left back on Colorado. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good there, there are good players out there, uh, you know, on a lot of different teams here. Caden Clark on the Red Bulls, but I think he's going to be moving up to Leipzig after this year. Um, uh, you know, and that's obviously, you know, a, a comparable level, I think, to Roma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's. um uh, you know, they're, they're, they're popping up all over the place, but you know, everyone's telling mentioned, you know, George Bellow, the left back for Atlanta. You know, he made his first cap last night. Uh, another very good player, but these are all, these are all players that are, are now heavily scouted and, and there is European interest surrounding them. Awesome. Great to see for, for, you know, American soccer, all this growth. So Brian, before we let you go, just let our listeners know where they can find your work, anything you might be working on, where to find you on Twitter, all those good things. Yeah, I got a couple of uh, player interviews um, I'm, I'm working on right now after the U.S. national team camp. And um, I'm always at American Soccer now and Soccer America. And I'll, tomorrow morning I'll, or Tuesday morning, I'll be over at uh, every Tuesday morning. You can, you can listen to me um, at 820 uh, for about a half hour over on Sirius XM. So uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on here and chat with you, Stephen. Thanks, Brian. All right, uh, we're back. Um, so thank you again, Stephen, for setting that up. We hope you guys enjoy that. So we're going to talk a bit about Reynolds, who, like we said, is 19 um, from FC Dallas Academy, a Fort Worth native. 
Uh, comes to Roma on an initial loan for 100 grand through the end of the year. And then there is a obligation for 6.75 million and then some bonuses for another 5.65 million and an eventual 15% sell on clause due to Dallas. So at the end of the day, it looks like he's going to cost about 12, 13 million euros, um, which isn't too bad. Uh, but having said that, none of us really know a lot about this kid. So um, Stephen and I are both Americans, so we at least know what FC Dallas is. <laughs> Sean, I'm not sure what your familiarity with MLS is, but what did you think when you saw these rumors popping up um, really in December? Yeah, I, I had no idea who he was. And, uh, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't watched MLS in, in since, well, not to be stereotypical, but since David Beckham played over there. I could have said Wayne Rooney, but no, David Beckham. Um, I... I, when I saw his highlights video, um, you know, when everyone becomes an expert on a player, you need the YouTube highlights video, of course. Um, he, he, you know, he's exactly what I've been asking for down that right wing, what we're missing. Uh, he does address an area of need. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think he's, I don't expect him to be ready to go right now, but um, we've been asking for that physical dribbler, or at least I have been down that right side to bring that balance to, to Spinazzola's aggression down the left. And uh, without Zaniolo, we needed that from the, the wing back and Karlsdorp looks like he's capable of that sometimes, but it's not always like he fancies it. So uh, Reynolds, when I saw it in the highlights video, he's running out players. Um, he doesn't need more than two inches of space out. Like when he's pushed out on the line, he'll just he'll just brush past someone and make his own space. Um, that's that's what we need. And you know, if you if you buy a ready-made player who can do that, um, you're talking about spending more than you did on Spinazzola. You're talking about spending 40 million euros minimum. So that's why we've gone for this speculative deal where it's, you know, we spent 7 million up, well, just under, shade under 7 million up front and then possibly even more to double figures if Reynolds comes good. Yeah, you're right. Um, Steven, so let me ask you this. So you had an interview with Brian. Um, did that uh, change your opinion on Reynolds? What did you think prior to that? And now you have a little bit more insight than certainly Sean or I do. What do you think about him now? What kind of player is yeah. he? What kind of player can he become? Yeah, so Sean, don't feel bad that you didn't know who he was because I casually follow MLS. Um, I, I watch some Red Bull matches and things like that, and I had no idea who Reynolds was. Uh, you know, COVID, they they changed the format of the league. I, I did see Dallas all year, and the couple times I did watch MLS. And um, you know, after talking to Brian, you know, he seems pretty high on his potential. You know, he he brings those things that you talked about that that dribbling ability, that size, that pace, which I think fits right into what Rome was trying to do on those wings, like we've seen with Karsdorp and Spinazzola this year. Um, and it was interesting that Brian pointed out that Reynolds started as more of an attacking type player when he was, yeah, in like he was, the he was a winger, right? Level. Yeah. Yeah. So he has those offensive yeah. um, instincts. And the thing I like that Brian said, besides the fact that he's a good kid and, a, a, you know, he's got that right personality, he is a quick learner, he said. So there was a match in the postseason this year where Jordan Morris kind of you know, went to work on him a little bit. And Morris, for those that don't follow American soccer, he's a U.S. national team player. He's played on the wing and at striker and things through the years. And I think he's probably in his late 20s by now. So he's an experienced guy uh, who's played the, on the, the Amer- you know, bigger the American, The American Insigne? Yeah, he's at, he's at Swansea now, I think, actually. I don't know. He just went to Swansea, Morris. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, he said that if they had theoretically matched up again this coming season, which they obviously won't because one's at Roma now and one's at you know, over in, in England that Reynolds wouldn't get taken to school the same way because he, he learns quickly. And I think if he's coached well at Roma, we could see the defensive side of things, you know, short up as well. And, you know, if he turns into a player on what Karsdorp's level is now, I mean, for 6.75 plus performance related bonuses, you know, that I think that's a pretty good deal. Like Sean mentioned, 
if you want a a, a, a ready-made player like a Spinazzola type, he's costing you 40 million euros right now. Roma doesn't have that. So I think the speculative deal works, especially if Karzorp can play out the rest of the season at the level he's playing. It gives Reynolds time to acclimate. And, and hopefully next year when Perez is gone, when his contract's up, maybe he turns into that other option on the right side as a 20-year-old. Who knows? Mm. All right, so we talked about uh, what Reynolds could potentially bring. So we're talking about a kid who's 19. I think he's like six foot three, converted winger. Um, so you're right, you guys uh, attacking and crossing. When I did uh, my quick Q&A with Drew from uh, Big D Soccer, our Dallas Titan Network, that was um, the hallmarks, he said, of Reynolds were crossing and dribbling and things like that. Um, so I think those are skills that will translate regardless of where you're playing. So let's talk about a 19-year-old kid uh, coming to a country um, where he doesn't speak the language, doesn't really have any friends that we know of other than McKinney at Juve. Uh, so what do you think is going to be the biggest um, transition for him, Sean? What's his biggest challenge as a 19-year-old kid coming to Italy is going to face playing in Syria? Well, it's always learning the language and making sure you can, you actually know what's going on around you. I mean, not, not just on the pitch, but, you know, feeling like you can actually belong in the country. Um, I, I'd be seeing, I was talking in the last episode about Ruben Provinos, who was signed mm-hmm. from France last year. And that, that's a guy who's, coming in learning a language that's like, you know, basically 90% similar to, to Italian. You know, he speaks already Latin, uh, Latin-based language. So for him, the transition was even easier than Reynolds. And he still took a, a good 12 months to become, look like the potential he is now. Uh, last year, Providence was dead in the water. And this year, he's, a, he's just a, a player reborn. We saw William Bianda before that, mm. um, who just <laughs> it never worked out for him. You know, he, he, he was put in a apartments uh, right by the Trigoria um, training ground um, basically like spent his life 24-7 around Trigoria but it never clicked for him so yeah with Reynolds it's just about you know, basically acclimatizing to, to new surroundings and hopefully like you said he earns a few mates in the squad that can make him feel at home and that's yeah that's trying. funny you mentioned Bianca that was always Jimmy's guy for some reason uh, yeah I wonder about that too I mean I, I think obviously Smalling is obviously a natural English speaker um Oh, well, it's Fonteca. Yeah, Jacko. So, I mean, there's the a few. And, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think when he was linked to Juve, that was the biggest concern was that McKinney was like his best friend. So that would be, if yeah. all things being equal, if you're a teenager moving to a foreign country, you'd like to go somewhere where you have a friend. So um, gladly it worked out for us. Uh, so we talked about the challenges. So I think the biggest question, a lot of the questions that certainly we saw on our message board is, is this kid even going to play this year? Stephen, where do you... Obviously, we talked about Karsdorp, we have Bruno Parrish, so there's no um, lack of depth at right back, uh, per se. Is he going to play at all this year, do you think? Yeah, I think if he plays, it'll be very limited. Um, I mean, we have, to keep, we have to keep in mind when they asked him why Roma and not Juve, he said, because I'm going to play in the first team. Well, yeah, I think that, that certainly, I think from a career move for him, I think coming to Roma over Juve, and this is a, as a completely non-biased answer is, is better for his early career trajectory. Cause if he went to Juve, he was, in, he was immediately going to be shipped out to Benevento on loan. Right, yep. And probably I would imagine the next couple of years would have followed with loans. I mean, look at, look at Luca Pellegrini after he went there from Roma, he's been loaned out a couple of seasons now and he's a highly regarded Italian left back uh, who is already acclimated. Is he, to is the, he still highly, the, the is he language. still highly regarded though? I mean, he was when he came, when he went there. So, I mean, you know, he never, <laughs> The, I, yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't get really a shot with Juve. So I think coming yeah. to Roma, he'll at least stick around with Roma for the, at least the next six months. They'll, they'll see what they have. And then I think they can reevaluate uh, his readiness for the first team also going into next year, which, um, you know, but this year, 
just looking at the next six months, you know, Roma's in the battle for the top four. They're not going to have many throwaway type games, if any, a- at all, because, you know, they're at Copa's over. Um, and, you know, the Europa League is knockout stages now. So I think if we see Reynolds at all, it'll be in those kind of last five minutes of a match that maybe Roma's up three nothing against uh, Crotone or somebody or 10 minutes. Maybe he'll get a little just to get his feet wet. It might do that, but I can't see him playing much more than that this year. All right. Um, so we have about 10 minutes left here. We're trying to keep this one brief. I thought, you know, two signings, it wouldn't take that long. Um, so at El Shirawi, we had Brian Reynolds. And on the women's side, um, what I, Sean and I would probably argue was the biggest sort of statement saying that women signed Elena Lenari, uh, who had, um, I don't know, some sort of falling out of Bordeaux. There were some stories that they weren't paying her contract and things like that. So Roma um, snapped her up, um, like El Shirawi, right in the prime of her career. But I would argue that she's probably the best, uh, one of the best Italian players at the moment. Um, Sean, you and I were both taken aback by this. What do you think about it? Yeah, a player that a club like Roma has absolutely no right to sign, and I still, <laughs> I, I still have no idea how it happened. Maybe Lenari is just some nightmare character who you know put a, a short end to her spell at Atletico or Bordeaux. Maybe she's a terrible person. I don't know. But there's got to be some not. kind of. Yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for some kind of sting in the tail because Lenari is a, a league winner with Fiorentina in Italy back when the league was less competitive than it is now. She's a league winner in the Liga Iberdrola with uh, Atletico Madrid, which is, you know, at several levels above where the Italian football is right now. Um, she could have gone, she could have had a pick of clubs in anywhere in the world. I mean, she, she went to play in France, which again is a much more competitive league in Italy. So Roma benefited from the fact that Italian players don't, don't like to go abroad or don't like to stay away, you know, away from home too long. And uh, also that, that probably no other club at the top, like Milan or Juve, was ready to sign Denari. And, and it just opportunity fell at Roma's door. And we've got her. And I'm happy with that. Yeah, that was surprising to me. I, I think off the top of my head, I know there's Alia Guagni and Tatia Bonetti, both both with Atletico Madrid. Now, Atletico, yeah. As far as I know, yeah. they're only two. Um, yeah, so that one, I've had a chance to see both the matches since she signed uh, for Roma. And she is the real deal. Um, so let's just, we in a little bit of time we have left, let's talk about, so we talked about um, El Shirawi. Uh, obviously it's a good addition, but doesn't really address an area of need. Uh, so Steven, um, we got about seven minutes left here. So what would you have liked uh, to see Roma have done in terms of need signings? I know we talked about that a little bit during our preview one, but what did they miss out on, do you think? Yeah, I mean, there weren't too many goalkeeper rumors in this window. I know Silvestri's name popped up a couple times. That was like dependent on Paolo Lopez going in the other direction of Verona alone, which I didn't really anticipate happening. Uh, I couldn't see him agreeing to that. Uh, so I guess goalkeeper would be the the missed position, so to speak. It seems like our biggest area of need so far. So I think come summertime, uh, depending on where Roma finishes and the finances line up, you're going to see them either make a move for a Silvestri type if they want to go lower budget or if they want to, go big, maybe go for a Carano or a Musso or somebody like that to really shore that position up long-term, I think. Hmm. Uh, Sean, what about you? Any missed opportunities during this window? Well, all, all my wishes are unrealistic. I mean, yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with Steven. I would have liked to keep her. I would have loved Juan Musso, who costs like at least $25 million. Uh, I would have loved Mauro Cardi to come to the club for six months, who, whose wages mm-hmm. would have cost $25 million. Um, I would have loved uh, a right, a ready-made right back, and you know, maybe not instead of Reynolds, but on top of Reynolds, uh, which would have cost forty million. So yeah, if uh, if the club could somehow pull that money out, then I'd be a happy fan. Otherwise, no. Well, there was a there was a story yesterday that their their debt is shrinking slowly but surely. Yes, 
yeah, I, I caught that. And that's, that's, that's actually the biggest move of this window. It shows that the Freakins are the real deal because they, they paid off um, the, some of the shareholder loans that, that Pilotto had taken out in 2000, 2017 that were really setting the club back in terms of repayments. And they paid off some of the bank loans. So they, they've reduced the, the, the debt at the club. Really, on the bottom line, they've reduced the debt at the club by over 50 million this, this, this window. And that's, that's, that's something we've never seen under Pilotto. That's a, real, that's a big deal. Yeah, the Freakins definitely work quietly, but they, I was seeing they're working very effectively. Um, yeah, I was, yeah, that Accardi swap, I started writing it out and literally the, maybe 10 minutes after I published it, I got, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, denied. Yeah, denied, negated, vetoed, whatever. And then the Sanchez stuff came out and I was like, oh man, I don't want to do a whole nother one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just always have like Accardi, I I hate Inter, so I didn't follow him that closely, but he's like my first love. I would just would love to see him play for Rome. He's so exciting. Uh, so we got about five minutes left here. So let's, let's talk about some summer transfer predictions. There were some questions uh, from our users on Twitter. Someone asked about expiring contracts, and based on what I saw, we have um, two of our Brazilians, Juan Jesus and Bruno Perez, both expiring in June. I don't know if they'll be back. Uh, Marante expiring in June and that old keeper they signed for some reason, Ferrelli, who never played, also expiring in June. Mm. Uh, so we talked about they paid down the debt. Do you think they're going to have money to go big this summer, Sean? Maybe one? It, I mean, they've got, they've, they've got more debt to go. There's 247 million <laughs> of it left. But uh, you know, th- this statement of, of intent that they've made this January could mean that yet they'll, they'll eat into that debt even more in the summer. And you know, that, that frees the club up to FFP-wise to, um, to, yeah, to spend more money. So we, who knows? That, like you said, the Freakins have moved in silence and uh, it's, it's hard to predict that but this is the first real step they've taken to show that they're different from the plot era. Um, ideally, uh, I... I don't know. For, as, I mean, you've got to solve up the Fonseca situation first. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe he's more secure than most people would, but uh, mm-hmm. even yeah, he's such a fluid guy right now that I don't, I don't know what he would have in mind in terms of what he needs to do in year three. I, I could only think that one thing he really needs is uh, a defensive midfielder that uh, can really, really stick a foot in and, and, and like intimidate opponents because we're, we're a little bit soft there in, in midfield. Even even though we're stacked, I think we need we could do it with someone like uh, you know, we're linked with the uh, Nandez from Cagliari, mm. who I'm not too keen on, but I understand why people would want to sign him because he does give that that intimidation factor, that steal to the midfield. And I think we, if we did go down that direction, that would be adding another dimension to the team. Yeah, I think you're right on Fonseca. A week ago, certainly after the, the two Spezia matches, it seemed like he was teetering on the brink. But um, there was that quote today from Allegri, one of Allegri's representatives, that Allegri to Roma was pure fantasy. Yeah. So, you know, it I, doesn't I, make sense I, on any level. No, I, no. I think he's probably waiting for one of the uh, the marquee jobs, which at this point looks like it's either just Madrid or maybe Barcelona. Um, yeah. So if you can't get him, who who else would you get? I'd rather keep Fonseca than have another retread coach who's been to every Serie A club you can think of. I'd uh, be I'd be okay with Sally, but I'd, I'm also happy with sticking with Fonseca yeah. too. Uh, so Stephen, so if just make a, a summer prediction. So is goalkeeper the biggest area of need in your mind, Stephen? I, I think it is right now, but again, striker becomes an area of need if, if Jekko, you know, he didn't move this window, but I think the summer could be it for him, uh, considering the way things have gone down. And if I think if Roma does finish top four, Fonseca has an automatic renewal in his contract, so I can't see how you get rid of him if they finish top four. Mm-hmm. So if I could have my way and Roma were to sign a striker, 
Uh, I would I would love to see them go after Belotti. I think his time in Torino is about up. He's only got a year more left on his contract, and they're teetering on the relegation zone right now. So, you know, if Roma makes Champions League and you're going to spend $40, $50 million on a striker, I'd go hard after Belotti. Yeah, and I, I, I'm going to agree with you on both of those. I would love him. Um, goalkeeper, I think, would be my um, number one priority, but I think that's going to be all dependent on what they can do with Lopez if they can find a taker for him. Uh, I'm more partial to Dragowski from Fiorentina, but that doesn't seem like they're going to let him go if they have a choice. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's about it. As I was recapping this, um, suddenly dawned on me that nobody went out. There was no sales during this window, which is yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. Well, um, it's hard, hard to shift players in this in this climate. Right now. Yeah, I mean, P- Pinto certainly tried, but he just had Yeah, apparently there was five names they listed. He was trying to unload on the last day, Perez and Diawara, and then obviously the deadweight like Fazio and Jesus, and nobody moved, Santone. so yeah. Santone. Yeah. All right, so that we'll put a pin in that. That is Roma's quick and tidy winter transfer market, just two new signings for the men, two for the women. Um, yep, so for Steve and Sean, this is Brian. I want to thank you guys again for listening, and we'll catch you next time. So look out this week for our UVA coverage. Uh, hopefully we can score a victory at the Allianz Stadium. They can certainly use it. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.